Welcome to Phone Messages, episode 176. This is Julia. My name is Paul Mason Foch. This week, I am very happy to have Julia D'Amico return for an interview, which was conducted outdoors on a beautiful day in early May. She will be commenting on her third message, which comes from the fall of 1989, requiring us to go back a little from the timeline of recent episodes. The message is three seconds long. Here we go. Hey, Paul, this is Julie. It's definitely me. What I notice when I hear that it's fast. So, like, I can imagine we're going to meet for coffee or something. Or, like, I'm studying. Or, you know, I'm calling you quickly. I'm rushing out the door. So, the first question I came up with is, do you remember when you decided to choose a major and what you chose? So remember, when I was a freshman, I was dating Jason Beitzer, who was a junior, and was studying sociology. And he was so passionate about sociology that as insane as this sounds, that actually probably was what really influenced me to choose sociology. Like, I worked with Jerry Suttles, who I loved. Like, I loved the Chicago School of Sociology, ethnographies. Now, of course, once I started studying sociology, I realized that at that time, those ethnographies were not being done really anymore, that the discipline had sort of moved on. But I did study with with Professor Suttles. He was my advisor as an undergraduate. Did you have an assignment of some kind of ethnographic work for his class, or? That's what I did my BA thesis on. I did, you know, a kind of ethnographic study. I think I had read an article about a Native American program or sort of magnet program that was starting in a public school. And the idea was you were, if you applied and were admitted you were Native American, somehow they were going to teach in a manner that was going to be guided by Native American culture. So I would go to these parents association meetings that they held throughout the year to learn about how they were talking about this program. It was a sort of interesting effort um, that I think wasn't probably working all that well. So I think what, what was happening was you had like a lot of parents whose kids were in the Chicago public school system who were at least partly of Native American descent and who were looking for a better academic experience for their kids. Because your father was a professor, did that influence your expectations of of going to university or? In my experience, you know, I was one of a million people whose parents were academics at the University of Chicago. Well, one time I remember your father came to a lecture. Yeah, you're thinking of the Terry Turner class I was taking on Marx. It was packed, and so I thought, oh, he can just sit, in, you know, sit with me. It'll be uh, no big deal. So he came uh, to the class. So it was nice to be able to share that with my dad a little bit. So when you were taking this class, was that something that you ever talked to him about, or? Not really. No, no. I think you know, I both sort of wanted to, you know, you, you want to learn yourself. Uh, I definitely. I remember I had to do a presentation with for Professor Steinmetz, and I and I had to present on like the 18th. Vermeer, I think it was. And so, like, I had some questions. I remember asking my dad a question about that. 
but um, so I remember that time asking him a question, but that probably was the only time I ever asked him a question <laughs> or anything else, actually. Because <laughs> you, you sort of do your own thing. You want to uh, learn it yourself, uh, right? You, you want to be independent. I don't know if he would think of it this way, but I got the impression, you know, he wanted me to struggle and, and go through the process of learning just like everybody else. Although I did ask him a question that one time, I remember that. Yeah. And was he helpful? I think. Maybe. Yeah. I think he probably told me if I, I think I was unsure if I was right or wrong about something. And if I remember, and I think he told me I was wrong, maybe. But like, and then I had to figure it out. The response of Julia's philosophy professor dad reminds me of my casual encounter with Ted Cohen, mentioned in episode 71, when a simple greeting leads him to playfully ask me to prove my existence. A gadfly attitude most U Chicago students learn in their first year reading Socrates' dialogues. Julia's undergraduate advisor, Gerald Suttles, represented the type of urban sociology that Chicago became famous for in the early 20th century. His first book came out of three years spent living among and researching the diverse communities of Chicago's near west side, a neighborhood where Jane Addams had established her whole house in 1889 to help the mass of immigrants arriving to the city. In the early 1960s, when Suttles conducted his study, the area included Italians, African Americans, Puerto Ricans, and Mexicans, all facing common impoverishment and yet divided by symbolic behaviors. As Julia points out, the Chicago School, especially its ecological theories of the city, had gone somewhat out of style by the early 90s. On the other hand, Chicago-based ethnographies continued to proliferate, including those mentioned in previous podcast episodes on Wicker Park and Little Village. However, one group of Chicagoans which has not received much study is Native Americans, and this makes Julia's bachelor's thesis exceptional. The reason for this lack of research comes in part from the small percentage of Native Americans residing in the city. According to the 2019 American Community Survey, Native Americans make up only 0.35% of the population, and this has not changed much since the 1960s. In the 1940s, the federal government began the so-called Indian Termination Policy, a series of laws designed to force indigenous people to forget their heritage and assimilate into white society. These laws encouraged the migration of American Indians to cities like Chicago where the population went from 774 in 1950 to nearly 7,000 in 1970. The uptown neighborhood, just north of Wrigley Field, 
saw the largest settlement of American Indians. And it was there that in the early 1970s, a movement for greater self-determination led to the establishment of Owayawa Elementary School and Little Bighorn High School, which were designed to reintroduce Native children to their heritage. However, a fiscal crisis that hit Chicago public schools in 1979 led to major cutbacks and the eventual dissolution of these programs. A new magnet school, also in the Uptown neighborhood, called Audubon Elementary, began in 1989, with 79 students from grades 1 to 8. It is this program where Julia was likely conducting her senior year research. The program had two components. First, it provided classes in Native American culture, as well as an academic tutor for Native students. Second, it hosted guest speakers that could provide positive role models of Native people. The program was funded in large part through a federal grant, but cutbacks in the early 2000s led to the program's demise. If you want to do a case study on me, go to pfoch.com. That's P-F-O-T-S-C-H dot com. Many thanks to Julia for recalling her research. And thank you for listening. Talk to you next week.